I invite you to open your uh, songbooks in the back to page 867, 867, the Belgian Confession, Article 32, in the back of your Trinity Psalter hymnals, Article 32, The article is titled The Order and Discipline of the Church. You remember that several of these articles had to do with the purity of the church, the marks, how to identify a church, how church leadership is meant to function. And this is continuing on in that theme before moving on now, you can see in Article 33, to the sacraments. Let's look at Article 32. It says there, we also believe that although it is useful and good for those who govern the churches to establish and set up certain order among themselves for maintaining the body of the church, they ought always to guard against deviating from what Christ, our only master, has ordained for us. Therefore, we reject all human innovations and all laws imposed on us in our worship of God, which bind and force our consciences in any way. So we accept only what is proper to maintain the harmony and unity and to keep all in obedience to God. To that end, excommunication with all it involves, according to the word of God, is required. So far from our confession of faith, which we believe is a faithful summary uh, of many important and critical principles in the word of God, and I want to turn your attention now to 1 Corinthians related to the principles we just heard in this article, 1 Corinthians 5, which you can find in your Bibles provided on page 954, 954. Chapter 5, page 954, this is the word of our God. It says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people, not at all, meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy, swindlers, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, 
if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is, not, uh, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So far from God's holy word. <clears throat> Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, living, living as a faithful, believing congregation, it takes a great measure of spiritual humility, patience, love for God and neighbor. And so we, we read in summary about the leadership of the church. Leaders cannot govern well without these Christ-like gifts. And congregation members can't submit and follow well without such Christ-like attitudes. And the key uh, that's described here in Article 32 and what's shown so plainly in 1 Corinthians 5 is that we should not be interested in our own standard or having our own way. Instead, we're bound and we're determined to follow Christ, the Master, and to heed his word as the measure of the life of the church body. And we see that plainly enough in what we read. Then it's not merely a matter of what I want or what I like or what you want and what you like and you know the contest and comparison between the two. It is instead the power and the spirit of the Lord Jesus reigning in the church. You know, Paul used some powerful language there. You know, Christ and his power and his presence and his reign is there with you. And he is the Lord of the church. So Paul is dealing with an, a disorderly, often disunified, you know, scrambled egg of a church in Corinth. That's, you know, why the sermon is so named. He's dealing with a church that's full of disorder, that's full of difficulties, and they've asked him about, he's heard certain things that are going on, and they've asked him about certain things, and there's letters going back and forth. That's why you have First and Second Corinthians and there's even another letter that they refer to that, that uh, maybe we don't, we don't get to see. But there's, there's questions going back and forth. And he's helping them and he's urging them about how to sort out the holy life of the church. So in, uh, in the church, you know, things have been rather scrambled. We find the Christian culture of our day is very similar. The churches are in a similar condition in our time. Inappropriate attitudes and actions have scrambled up the Christian church. And as a pastor, I find that many uh, you know, attitudes uh, you know, out there of those who call themselves Christian, they call themselves brother, they plainly reject the teaching of the apostles and they plainly reject much of what Paul is writing here. In fact, they're even proud of it, like the Corinthians. And, and Paul says, you should rather be mourning, but you're celebrating yourselves. It's, it's inappropriate. And many today are offended, for instance, even by the idea that a person could be removed from the church because of their conduct. You know, oh, that's outrageous. You know, churches shouldn't be able to do this or that. That's not right. A loving God would never. That's not how it works. And they're angry about what Paul commands them to do. And what we read in, in Article 32 is, is necessary. There must be, you know, excommunication uh, because it's taught plainly in God's word. 
But for many people today, it's, you know, that's far from settled for them. It makes them angry. And so you have many Christians uh, who, you know, they hate the thought that the church would judge those inside and that they could be, ten, you know, potentially rebuked or removed from membership if they're unwilling to follow Jesus. This is very offensive, you know, to many today. And what is more, many today who call themselves Christian are so critical of the church, they find fault with almost any and every denomination or church structure, even if they're independent, so-called independent, um, or any boundary at all, for that matter, you know, pertaining to the Christian life. So, you know, critical of denomination, I'll never join a denomination. Critical of churches and any structures they set up, I'll never join such a thing. Critical of any boundaries at all, I should be able to do what I want as a Christian. And you start to ask, when, you know, when you inquire, and you, you start to really get into it and say, well, what are you really saying? Then they might finally admit, I'm never going to join any church. I'm not interested in purifying the church or fixing anything in it, um, I'm really only interested, and this, this is what I find a lot, I'm only interested in justifying why it's better for me to be on my own. And this is where many people are at today. I'm, all, I'm really only interested in arguing about these things, even really complaining about them, because what I really want is just to be on my own and not to have anybody tell me what to do. And so the answer boils down to a Christianity that is, in fact, and this I repeat often, you know, it's whatever I want, when I want it. But that's not Christianity at all. It's self-serving pride. And Paul places that kind of impure thinking, self-centered thinking, you know, self-licensed living, he places that outside. It's outside the, the church of Jesus Christ. It doesn't belong inside. Purge it from among you, he says. That kind of thinking doesn't belong. And so many call themselves brothers. They place themselves inside. But the apostle said they should be purged if that's how they're going to think, if that's how they're going to act. If that's not the mind of Christ. Something to consider. You know, our opinion and the revelation of God in his word through the apostle. Those are, one is weightier than the other by, you know, a factor of a million. The church of Jesus Christ, we read, should establish orderly church life, which maintains harmony, unity, and obedience to God's word, and that requires the use of sober judgment even purging the church by means of excommunication. I'm going to say that again. The Church of Jesus Christ should establish an orderly church life which maintains harmony, unity, and obedience to God's word for all, requiring the use of sober judgment, even the purging uh, measure of excommunication. That's, that's what we're seeing in 1 Corinthians 5. That's what's summarized in our confession. Let's talk first a little bit about organized church life. Our confession is applying uh, these things that we've been meditating on in the Belgian Confession. 1 Timothy 3 talks about knowing how we ought to behave in the household of God. 
right? So you need your elders and deacons to be such and such a way, and it's because we're, we're talking about how to organize God's household, and God's household is not a free-for-all. It's, it's decent and orderly. 1 Corinthians 14 affirms that very thing, the good purpose of setting up church practices that show decency and good order. And overall, we want our organized church life to testify that we're fully given over to God's word as we make decisions about where to go next, what to do next, how to spend, how to, how to give, how, you know, whatever we're doing, we're asking, uh, we're asking the question, how would God's word guide us in this? What, what principles from God would we use to make these decisions uh, in a wise way? We're convinced that it serves God's gospel purpose then to build structures. And when, <clears throat> when the Belgian Confession is speaking about this, it's thinking uh, related to church order and denominations. So we, if we build structures like denomination, you know, the association of churches um, with a unified mind in the gospel, when we write church order, you know, this is how we're going to work together when we make rules and procedures for various things in the church, and when we meet you know, as a synod or a classes, or when we establish committees you know, to do anything, and then you know, we keep getting closer to home. You know, when, we, when we make our worship practices and order our church life, and we keep going, we're asking questions, how are we answering them? We want it to be according to the word of God. God's word says this, and it's, it's the reasonable way that we have come to our practices in the church. And if we can't show the chain of reasoning back to the word of God, that's rather irresponsible for the church. It ought to be, if it's not explicitly said, relatively simple to follow the chain to the principles of God's word and say, that I know where this comes from. You know, even if it's not said, you will, you know, do a, a build your church, you know, this structure. Nevertheless, we would, we would have a reason, even down to, you know, the nursery schedule and our specific local calendar of events and, and, you know, why it makes sense, you know, that we should drop off donated items at such and such a time or why we should bring meals at such and such a time for the sick. You know, you're on nursery duty every six weeks in a rotation? Or why do you bring a meal, you know, on the first Sunday of the month? Why are you checking after worship if the lights are on or off? You know, we would be able to boil down, you know, we'd say, well, it's needed, but then we'd, say, we'd really boil it down and say, it's, it's, it is for the service of Christ. Out of love for his church body, it's a part of my reasonable service that the orderly life of the church translates into all these little details and practices from top to bottom. We don't want church life to be a traffic jam, a frustration, a mess. Sin and trouble are hard enough without um, leaving out any decent and orderly planning for the life of the body. Sin and trouble already you know, come up enough without setting ourselves up for still more confusion and disorder and trouble. Uh, that, that, that good uh, and orderly thinking, wise thinking the church could forestall. So that ought to be sensible to us. It makes good sense 
that the church has God's word, the front of our minds, when we establish and follow the kind of rules and the style of church life that we pray would be pleasing, would be peaceful, would be reasonable, would be orderly and honoring to Jesus. This is how anyone should want their leaders, especially since it says here, you know, the leaders and how they govern the church, this is how they should think. This is how anyone should want their leaders to think in the church. We want them to act this way. We don't want them to pick by saying what's popular, you know, poll, poll the community. What kind of things should we do in church? And then whatever's the top answers, uh, you know, we're going to set that up. You know, we, we don't pick by what's popular now, fashionable now. We do these things to honor Jesus in the way that he has commanded. So what has he commanded? This we will do. What is reasonably shown in the scripture to be noble and wise and beneficial for the church, this we will do. And those things that are untethered from the word of God, we're not sure about those. We're not going to walk in unstable pathways. We don't choose our methods at random. We reason together and ask ourselves, how best can we honor God first? How can we love one another best and carry out the Great Commission directly and not by some backwards pathway. And for this we need, you know, we need wisdom and we need decent and orderly thinking. It makes uh, uh, you know, plain sense in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned us you know, not to relax God's commands in our own favor. You know, the one who who relaxes these commands or, or teaches others to do the same will be the least in the kingdom of God, Jesus taught in Matthew 5. We, we can't relax his commands in our favor as it relates to the church life. So in this, you know, in this chapter, the church was innovating at best. They were deviating from God's word. They were not only deviating, but celebrating their departure from what Christ has plainly ordained. Sexual immorality is already out of the, you know, the question. Uh, but sexual immorality and even incest that raised the eyebrows of the unbelieving world was being celebrated, not only tolerated, but celebrated as what? Enlightened Christian living. We're so enlightened that we can live anyway because, because Jesus will forgive whatever it is was sort of the the error. And Paul calls them out. You know, this is wrong. And today many churches and many Christians are doing the same exact things. They're tolerating and even celebrating twisted sexuality represented in all of the gender ideology that's out there. They're celebrating homosexuality. They have been for some time in the church. And, say, and not only tolerating it, but celebrating it and counting themselves as enlightened because they do it. And this is the same. They're giving it a celebrated place in the church. Paul would have very similar remarks. You ought to mourn, but you're celebrating. Consider Acts 4, 29, when the apostles were beginning their ministry in earnest and they were, they were threatened and they were warned, you know, you can't teach in Jesus' name, don't spread. And, and, you know, part of their reaction was this. And now, Lord, look upon their threats 
and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Their mentality, the mentality of the apostles, was only concerned about how to remain faithful even when the pressure and the resistance against them was very strong. And today, many churches are full of human innovation. In other words, they've compromised the church for fear of how people will react if they're bold about the word of God. The church crafts their activity and they craft their message out of fear of men, out of fear of reprisals, out of fear of failure. And none of those actions are worthy of the cross of Jesus Christ. None of them are worthy of the gospel. And you have here in summary this thought that we're not, we're not going to be bound to human innovation, whether, whether good or ill, and from whatever direction it comes. We're not going to have you know, binders on the church that, that come from anywhere except from one source, that is, from God himself and from his word. So the apostles say, help us keep doing what we need to do, no matter what the cost. Help us keep, keep uh, uh, boldly proclaiming the truth, no matter what the pressure. God's word should be our guide when it says, for instance, in Isaiah 55, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And as we often discuss, our temptation is to do with our Christian life and with the life of the church what's most convenient. Our temptation is to do what's most pleasing to ourselves. Our temptation is to do what we know will work. You know, that's pragmatism. And it'll guarantee better results for, for me or for the church if we do it our way. And this is why much of what passes for Christian today has conveniently stopped talking about unpleasant things like hell or repentance from sin or judgment or Ezekiel 7 like we read this morning. Christians de-emphasize and we slink around the bold fact that Jesus is the only Savior and there is no life apart from him. They, they shrink back from the boldness of the apostles Grant to your servants to continue to speak with all boldness, right? Speak your word with all boldness. The churches refuse to honor God's command because we're, we're, we're not bold enough to deal with the consequences. So we refuse to honor God's command, for instance, that women should not hold church office, which is plain in the scripture. But Christians shrivel from it and wish and wish that we could do anything but talk about that. You know, that, that part of God's word we have voided for our own convenience in the church culture of our time. Deviation, innovation. God's bold word will alienate us from the culture and will risk shame and ridicule. So we'll just smooth it out for him. <laughs> just, you know, you know, level it out for him. We don't want... We don't want the pathway that he has in mind. God's plan led Jesus directly to the shameful cross. And they don't want to go down that shameful pathway. God's plan directed him to go all the way to the cross, even to death, and out again. And God's plan is the one 
and only his plan for the church brought the deliverance and the atonement and the life that we need. And human innovation hasn't gotten us anywhere but stuck in the ditch to the right or to the left. So when our confession talks about human innovations, this is a historical statement. We do have to deal with what was directly in their minds when they wrote it. Um, you know, perhaps considering the trials of the Protestant Reformation in history, they're particularly thinking of the distortions of the Roman Catholic Church that started to proclaim its own authority at the expense of God's word. The practice of the mass as a functional re-sacrifice of Jesus, it negates God's word, it robs us of the once for all comfort and confidence of the gospel. You know, the elevation of the Pope to an idolatrous position as the vicar of Christ, this is a, this is a human innovation. The human invention of the entire doctrine of purgatory that, that was taught and, and used as a way to squeeze money out of people and, and to control and otherwise manipulate people, it's an invention that binds the conscience and a terrible one. The human invention of Mary's position as the co-mediatrix of all graces? Is it biblical? No. But a human invention? Yes. The invented position, an idolatrous one, of prayer to saints. Such teachings are mutations of God's word and deviations which God finds disobedient and abominable. Wisdom in God's word will help us sort out what matters are matters that demand obedience and uniformity and complete submission and which matters are those that differ from one place to another, maybe from one culture to another. We'll be able to know the difference if we're grounded in the word of God. This is what God demands and this is where we have freedom and Wisdom is needed. When our consciences are attuned to God's word and not merely to our own tastes, we'll be well equipped with humility and wisdom for sorting out how to behave as the body of Christ. And I might add, for our comfort, right, that wisdom and a humble spirit will help us. It will help us do everything in our power to protect the unity and the harmony of the church with great care until we're absolutely sure, you know, what is a matter of um, submission, right, to God's word and what is a matter where Christians may respectfully differ. The, the, the humility and the wisdom of God will help us. So we're not going to get into a pitched battle. We're going to sort out patiently and kindly and humbly you know, where, where is obedience required? Where can we be gracious with each other? Where can we put the needs of, other in, of others in front of ourselves? And, and, and where must we, for God's sake, stand firm? God, God knows that this is not easy, you know, to live at peace, to live in unity, to make reconciliation where we go astray, where we err. And the good news for us is that the humility of Jesus and his willingness to go to the lowest place, it helps us. God knows that when we err on the side of obedience, 
sacrificial kindness and patience and humility. Even when we're wronged, he knows that we did it for him. He knows that we did it to honor him and for the good of his body. And God rewards that kind of wise and careful attention you know, to his purpose to, to present the church spotless, to care for the church as his own bride. This is, this is worth our patience, right? It's worth us biting our tongue. It's worth us sacrificing much for the unity and the peace of God's church. And now regarding particularly the boundaries inside and outside and excommunication, you know, we, we have some sense of this, or we ought to, since we all grew up more or less in a house with a mom. You know, it's reasonable to think, for instance, that a mom knows exactly what doesn't belong on her clean carpet, on her clean couch. You know, she has a clear standard. Your muddy shoes don't belong, you know, in this room or, you know, on, on, on our stuff. Your, you know, your uh, Cheeto fingers don't belong. You know, you got to wash your, your wet dog doesn't belong in here. And as kids, we start to get a very clear picture of what belonged inside and outside the house. You know, and, and the list grew as we tested, you know, bugs and sand and mud and bikes and our branches and, you know, our treasures from outside. They were on the list, outside things, things that, that were not meant to come in, you know, to the boundary of the house. In some ways, it should be that simple to understand why excommunication is needed. This article gets a bit more specific in how it affirms, you know, discipline is the mark of the church that identifies and places worldly attitudes and actions and sins outside the pure and holy body of Christ, outside of God's kingdom, and in the unbelieving world where they are common and where they come from, these things belong there. We all, we all came out of the world. It should be relatively easy for us to identify with what Paul is saying. We all came out of the world where these things were common. Sexual immorality was common. Violence was common. Envy was common. Uh, you know, lying is common in the world. But it, it shouldn't be in the church. Now, coming out of the world, we know what it means to live holy lives and to have that calling. We're called heavenward. And not to go back to slavery, not to go back to the world. So excommunication is wrongly labeled today by many as some kind of shocking, mean-spirited weapon. And it's used especially against unsuspecting church members who thought that they were happy in Christ, and then bam, they got smashed by excommunication because it just falls on you like a meteor. I saw a video this week of a guy who was driving on a mountainside road, and a boulder came down and smashed the road and smashed the guardrail and went on, and he stopped his car, and then he started backing up, you know, really fast, and, you know, bam, another boulder, and another, and another, and he made the right move. You know, if he had gotten hit by the boulder, would that be the picture of excommunication? Like, I'm just trying to live for Jesus. Bam! You know, excommunication, no, not at all. That's not, that, it, it's not random at all. And it's not how God's word teaches it. 
nor the truth of the matter by a long shot. At its heart, excommunication is about the reign and the power of Christ holding sway in the church and not me, not my pride and my wants and the things that I want and the pleasure that I want and the money that I want and all these things that we would love to say, I can have it all, I can have this and I can have Jesus too and I dare you to tell me otherwise. Excommunication is about the reign and the purity of, of obedience to Christ in the church. And it's, you know, it's unwarranted. It's unwarranted to fear that it's some foreign thing that we've never heard of. Like you get kidnapped and pulled into a van. You know, a bunch of guys put a hood over you and take you away. You know, like some kind of CIA, you know, mission. Um, Jesus plainly taught... Did he or did he not plainly teach what belongs in the kingdom? Didn't he spend his whole Sermon on the Mount? I like to refer there. It's simple teaching. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And if you are without love for God and neighbor, woe to you. And if you are without forgiveness towards your neighbor, woe to you. And if you think this way, you know, when God says otherwise, woe to you, none of that will enter the kingdom of God, but rather, you know, it's the love and the joy and the peace and all these spiritual virtues that, you know, God has taught. So these will, these are all coming in. These are all at home. They're all welcome in, you know, God's kingdom. He taught plainly and he contrasted it all the time with what marks worldly thinking, worldly living. That will remain outside of God's kingdom. It will never enter through the door of God's kingdom. Is that so difficult? Then neither is excommunication. His teaching is challenging and direct. The disciplinary process leading to excommunication is just that. It's a process where we're pointing out, you know, this is what Jesus has said. We need to repent. This is what God calls for. This is what belongs in his church. And this is what's leading to the kingdom. And it's full of teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness that demands we pay attention. And by its very nature says, this is what is in Christ and this is what is outside. And by its very nature demands the purging of evil practices from our midst or by the repetition of the expectations of, of God for our lives drives out the wicked person from our midst and says, this is not, you know, this, we're not going to call this uh, the, you know, the, the mark of a brother. We're not going to call this Christianity. We can't cling to evil but call ourselves brother or sister. That, that's unity breaking. Excommunication is, is part of a string of events, according to God's word, that exposes and identifies worldly attitudes and sinful behaviors in the church. And the church calls a person to repentance with God's word, hoping to save their soul from harm. And the critical, you know, the critical thing to know, right, is that it's shown to be sin, but rejected. It's shown to be unworthy of the cross, but rejected. It's shown to be again and again, uh, not the way that we can live together in the unity of Christ until finally with prayer and respect for the power of Jesus over his church, that person must be actively removed from the body 
still with the goal of saving their soul and telling the truth about Christ who died to purge our sins away, to wash them out, not to just live the same as we always have, but to make us new. The goal is still to tell the truth about his redemption, the truth about his cross, and that demands that we be ready even for that extreme remedy that is excommunication. When God's word reigns in the church, then excommunication is necessary, but it's done with respect for Jesus to conquer sin and save souls. In this culture, you guys already know, we deal with this a lot, just to disagree with someone, you know, is, is, is hatred. You hate me if you disagree with me. That kind of thinking helps no one. It helps no one. We can't, we can't have that mindset in the church. If somebody, if somebody disagrees with me, if someone even rebukes me or corrects me, and, and they bring God's word to me, do they really hate me? No. They care more for my soul than the people that kept their mouth shut or were afraid to say so. To reject God's word is deadly. It's destructive. We ought not to doubt but obey God's word. We heard enough about that this morning. God is, he's not tame. He will strike with precision against every sin outside of Christ. And in Christ, we have the plea of his blood. But rejecting God's word and going on our own to, to walk outside the boundaries of Christ is a frightful thing, a terrible thing. How hard it is, but painful and necessary to sacrifice ourselves and our pride to do what God has willed for his church. We should not innovate, we should obey. Jesus came to fulfill God's word, not to bring a new gospel. He said about his own ministry, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. He, uh, you know, he would say about himself, I'm not an innovator. I'm bringing to you the most mature and beautiful expression of, of everything that God has said to date, right? He's, he brings, when he arrives in the flesh, he brings not innovation, but the, the flower, the fulfillment, the fullness of everything that came before. Everything that the scriptures said about him, he fulfilled. Now he calls us to listen to his voice and to follow obediently, and in so doing, to, to be a thriving church, to be a church that's not scrambled by sins and disorder and disunity, but to be a, a beautiful place, a place that, that is full of the love and the power of God at work in the Spirit. And in that way, God helps us to crown our unity with all the, the fruits of his love, all the fruits of faith, all the fruits of obedience to him through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful to you that you have set the tone for your church and made it a place that is full of the fruits and the benefits and the love of Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that we would take great care to honor that purpose even when it's necessary to make difficult judgments and even to purge uh, from among us those who persist in their sin through excommunication. 
Lord, we pray that we would not shrink back from making wise and discerning judgments, but be very clear. What does uh, a redeemed person live like? What does a redeemed person look like? What is a new creation in Christ? Someone with a heart of faith, someone with uh, the spirit of Christ working in them. And to call that a brother and a sister. And not to name worldly things as inside of Jesus. Because in him there's only purity. In him there's only the perfect expression of obedience. In him there is only the love of God put to practice without a flaw, without a speck, without a spot. He who had no sin. And Lord, we want to say the truth about him, that he was the spotless lamb, the perfect sacrifice, who took our place, taking our sins upon himself willingly. We want to say the truth about him and not go back to living the way we used to live and not go back to thinking the way we used to think, but honoring you above ourselves. So Lord, we pray that everything in the church would be pleasing to you. And that every unpleasing thing, Lord, we would correct. And every unpleasing attitude, we would, we would sacrifice and, and right to have your will and your way. And Lord, that we would be willing where necessary to do even the most difficult things with the hope of the gospel always on our minds to save the souls alive of those even who are excommunicated from the church. Lord, in, in that purpose, we pray that you would receive the honor, that you would receive the glory, and that we would be instructed for the life and the joy and the hope uh, that saves our souls. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.